morning, Chapel Hill. All right, uh, we are going to work our way through a passage of Scripture together today, and so if you have your Bibles, get those out. If you have your Bible app, open that up. If you need a Bible to follow along in, just go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers are ready. We have Bibles there that you can use uh, for the service to follow along in, and if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep the one that you receive and take it with you. All right, let me make something abundantly clear right off the bat this morning. When Kyle spoke last week and then he headed for the keyboard to share his original song with us, I heard a voice, Marty's voice, behind me mutter, well, this raises the bar for Paul. (laughs) And so I had to decide, do I write and sing my own song today? (laughs) No. (laughs) Or... Do I ask someone else to preach today so I don't have to face the comparisons? And believe me, Marty, your name came to mind right away. Do I lip sync? That would have been fun. Maybe interpretive dance would impress them. Or do I fake an injury and show a video? (laughs) Well, here's where I landed. I am going to focus on a song today, but it's not my song. In fact, I don't know if it's technically a song. And I'm not going to sing it. We're just going to work through it, and we're going to absorb this passage together. Um, Kyle, you did an awesome job last week, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm grateful for so many more who have shared with us what God is showing them um, over the last several months, especially during my sabbatical. This has been a a good year for us, and, and I just appreciate all of those who step forward during that time and the the privilege it is just to have that confidence that there are others that can be up here and and God is speaking through many people. So thanks for that. But now it is time for us to transition from our fall series to our Christmas series. Uh, We ended our Untangled series so well. We ended it with an evening of Thanksgiving, which was awesome, um, and a service focused on worship Two practices that will absolutely draw us closer to God. And so it was a great way to end the series. Kyle talked about our response to God, to who he is last week. And what we're going to do this morning is carry on that thought. And we're going to look closely at one person's response to God and who he is and what he's done. The theme for this Christmas series is the word rejoice. Christmas season gives us an opportunity to rejoice. It gives us an abundance of opportunities to rejoice. There's a lot about the Christmas season and the Christmas story that we can rejoice in, and that's what we're going to do together. The definition of the word rejoice is exceeding gladness, exceeding gladness, something we're not particularly well known for, except in extreme circumstances. There are things that make us exceedingly glad, and some of those things come around the Christmas season. We're made glad by family, friends, gifts, time off, Christmas decorations, Christmas music, Christmas programs. Can't we wait for next week when we get to do our Christmas program? But we have to acknowledge that for some, this season may not bring them exceeding gladness. It may bring sorrow, heaviness, grief, loss, or something like that in place of the gladness. Because our gladness tends to ebb and flow with our circumstances. It's just the way it is for us. 
This morning, we're going to once again rise above our circumstances and focus on a source of exceeding gladness that simply cannot let us down. And this source of exceeding gladness even speaks directly to the difficult circumstances we may be facing. I think this is going to be very encouraging for us as a church. Throughout the Christmas story, we find characters rejoicing. They're all over the story. From Mary to Zechariah, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, Simeon and Anna, they're all found to be rejoicing for some reason, and they're all rejoicing over the same thing, the arrival of Jesus Christ. I want us to get swept up in that rejoicing. I want to experience the kind of exceeding gladness that they did, and so I'm going to lead us through some stories some teaching, some experiences, and more that are going to help us embrace this exceeding gladness. This morning, I'm going to also introduce to you a principle that I think applies more often than we may think. It's called the principle of the snow globe and the sanctuary. Okay, so in my hand is a snow globe. I'm going to play with it for a minute because I'm always fascinated by these things. Um, This is a snow globe. How many of you have snow globes at home? Lots of snow globes around there, plenty of those. This has a little Christmas tree in it and a nice little foundation around it and a bottle opener on the bottom for some reason. (laughs) I don't understand, (laughs) but that's that's just the way it is. Just someone thought that was practical for the Christmas season. This snow globe represents my life. My life is, is contained in this little snow globe. And here's what I mean by that, okay? This is, this is my world. This is my little personal world. And in there is my perfect family with my beautiful wife and my amazing boys and our dog and our cat and our peaceful, quiet, orderly home. <laughs> and yes, there's a reality that it is not always that way, that there are times when things are pretty chaotic in my house when things are a little crazy and everything's covered in dog hair. This represents my life and all that's in it. And so many times, this is what I see. This is what I focus on. I see my life. This is my snow globe. Now, the other half of this principle, the snow globe and the sanctuary principle, is the sanctuary, this room right here. And what this does is puts this in perspective. My life fits into something much bigger Now, it doesn't lose its significance, but it fits into a much, much bigger picture. That's the sanctuary side of this. All that goes on around me, all that happens in the world, and in the context of God and our relationship with him, there's my life and my relationship with God, and there's God's people and God's relationship with his people. And so that's the principle that you're going to see played out in our story this morning, and that's what I want us to remember. There's more to our lives than just our little snow globes. So keep this principle in mind as we look at today's story. It's a Christmas story. It's Mary's story. It's her snow globe, and it's God's story. It's the story. It's the big story. An angel named Gabriel sent from God, pays a visit to the infamous town of Nazareth. It's a town with a reputation. I'm going to leave it at that. It wasn't a a flattering reputation. 
There he visits a girl, as in a teenager, named Mary, and he tells Mary that she's going to have a child that will be placed in her by God. The angel informs her that this child will be named Jesus. He'll be very significant. He will be the son of the Most High. He'll have David's throne, and he'll reign forever. Mary asks an obvious question related to her being a virgin, and the angel explains. And somehow Mary accepts his explanation, and Gabriel then tells her about what's happening with Mary's relative, Elizabeth. So Mary pays Elizabeth a visit, and Elizabeth confirms it all, sharing what happened to her and telling Mary just how blessed she is. Together, they believed God, and the celebration began. Mary worshipped. Mary expressed to God a response based on who he is and what he had done. And this is what we're going to learn from this morning. This is where we're going to apply the snow globe and the sanctuary principle. So let's read through this story together. Turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1. We're going to read verses 46 to 55 together. Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, confession for you this morning, I had no idea this was so rich and so full of meaning. I got lost in my study of this song. I have a new appreciation for Mary. I always have had an appreciation for her. I mean, just look at the news that she received from Gabriel. She not only accepts what seems impossible... She then turns around and breaks into worship in a way that we have so much to learn from. And her worship, her rejoicing, is going to lead us into a season of rejoicing as we follow her lead. Now in most Bibles there is a heading for Mary's song. It's referred to as the Magnificat. Let me just explain where that term comes from. The first line of Mary's song is... My soul magnifies the Lord. Translate that statement into Latin and you have the term magnificat. That word means my soul magnifies the Lord. Here's something we need to let sink in. Mary, as young as somewhere between 13 and 16 years of age probably, would not have had a Bible of her own. She did not have access to Right Now Media where she could have watched countless video Bible studies. She didn't come from an elite family who raised her in the temple exposing her to, to teaching 24 hours a day. 
Mary was a teenage girl who had been told stories about God and about Israel her whole life, and she learned primarily with her ears. Out of what she learned flowed this incredible statement of worship, and she begins this statement of worship in her own snow globe. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary opens with a clear statement of worship. And right away in this opening statement, Mary reveals something significant. Mary shows us, or God shows us through Mary, that her life has a place in God's big story. This is where I'll begin to take us on a bit of a crazy journey through biblical history. The connections that you're about to see are mind-blowing. Mary knew God, and Mary knew God's story. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, way, way back in the Old Testament, there was a woman named Hannah. Hannah was unable to have children to the point of being picked on because she couldn't. She was devoted to God in a big way. She prayed faithfully. She was blessed by God and was given a son, and his name was Samuel. She dedicated, she gave Samuel to God. And in all this, Hannah prayed a prayer that opened this way. My heart exalts in the Lord. Heart is another way of saying soul. Exalts means magnifies. Hannah's soul magnified the Lord. And out of Mary's mouth come the same words. And those words also connect with that same expression elsewhere in the Bible, like Psalm 34, 2. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm not going to put every verse that I reference up on the screen. If you want all of these connections that I'm going to show you for your own study, just ask me and I will send you a copy of the script. No problem at all. Mary knew God, and Mary knew God's word, and Mary knew that she was part of a bigger story, just like Hannah. And so, on her worship went, in that context, Mary rejoiced in her Savior. We're going to look into the, the use of the word Savior, the title Savior in this series as well. Yet another reason to have exceeding gladness, to rejoice. Mary worshiped God with her mind, with her emotions, and with her will, her whole soul, her whole heart. And she then explains why. And her next statement connects back right away with Hannah again. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary is the first person in the New Testament to refer to herself as God's servant. It's a statement of her devotion. She knew the reputation of Nazareth, her hometown. She knew her age. She knew she wasn't the daughter of an influential family. She knew she needed a savior and guess who else referred to herself as God's servant? Yep, Hannah. That's the big story. Mary acknowledged that God had done great things for her. She brought God her snow globe and thanked him for all that he had done. And her thanks wasn't based on circumstances. It was based on God's faithfulness to her. And then she says, For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
Mary rejoiced in her snow globe, her life. God had chosen her. She was blessed, and God was at the center of all of it. And then Mary transitions from the snow globe to the sanctuary. Now she's going to acknowledge the big picture, the big story, God's story of God's people. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. I want us to really give some thought to this this morning. God has blessed each one of us. No matter what our circumstances are, we have reason to rejoice because God has chosen us to be his sons and daughters. He has adopted us. He redeemed us. He saved us. He set us apart as his holy people. But there's even more to the story. Mary's helping us see that. God is using Mary to help us see that. There's a clear message written into Mary's words in Luke 1. So let's follow what she's saying. When she said, from generation to generation, she drew us into her song. We're one of those generations. Then she says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. What is Mary referring to here? Well, let's go back through Israel's history because that's what Mary appears to be doing. How about God bringing down Pharaoh in Exodus 12? After refusing to let God's people go, God brought Pharaoh low and Israel was rescued. Or maybe she was thinking about Nebuchadnezzar. After responding to Daniel in pride, in Nebuchadnezzar's pride, the king was brought down. Let me describe brought down. Nebuchadnezzar was cast out of his kingdom. His mind became like that of an animal. And he then hung out with donkeys and ate grass. And God's people eventually worshipped freely in that kingdom. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. The mighty, speaking in earthly terms. In Joshua 10, five kings were defeated at the same time. Job said in Job 34 that God shatters the mighty. Psalm 107 verse 40 says that God pours contempt on princes. Ezekiel delivers words from God about the exalted ones being brought low and the low being exalted. This is all part of the stories that Mary grew up with. She knew the history of Israel and how God removed rulers when it needed to be done. And then she says, and exalted those of humble estate. Like Joseph, who went from being sold out of a pit into being second in command in Egypt. Like Job, like David, like he would do with the baby that Mary carried, with Jesus. And Jesus would affirm this character of God for us over and over again in his life and in his teaching. Verse 53 he has filled the hungry with good things. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Psalm 107 verse 9 says that God fills the hungry soul with good things. Mary grew up hearing about the goodness of God and how he takes care of his people. And so she worshipped him for that. And the rich... He is sent away empty. 
We've often looked at the Beatitudes that Jesus spoke in Luke chapter 6. And we stop just short of that next verse where Jesus says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Think about how Jesus created a huge struggle for the rich young ruler in Luke 18. She then says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. Throughout the history of Israel, God helps his people. That's the big picture. That's the sanctuary. That's the story that takes our personal stories and makes them so much bigger and so much more significant. We are part of God's big story. We are, yes, even today, God's people. That's who we are. It's not just a reference that's made in the Bible to Israel. It's us. And as his people, we have received his help just like his people have always received God's help. Psalm 98 guides us to sing a new song to the Lord because he has done marvelous things, remembering his love for his people. In Isaiah 63, God's mercy is recalled. The prophet pointed out that God became their savior. He felt their pain and responded to it, something that he has done to this very day. God has extended his mercy to us. He has remembered his people throughout history. And finally, Mary ties it all back to the covenant that God made with the father of their nation, the covenant he made with Abraham. All the way back to Genesis 12, God established his faithfulness to his people. And like in Exodus 2, Leviticus 26, 2 Kings 13, Psalm 105, and many other places, God remembered that covenant. And he has not forgotten it. The covenant that God made with us through Jesus will not be forgotten, ever. God will never forget the covenant he made. He promised that new covenant in Jeremiah 31, and he has never forgotten it. And no matter what happens here in this time before Jesus' return... God is faithful to the covenant that he has made with us. And we'll remember that covenant today as we celebrate communion together. Okay, that's a lot to take in. But that's where Mary's mind and heart were at when she spoke the words of her song as an act of worship. Mary recognized God's goodness. She recognized his goodness to her her snow globe. She recognized God's goodness to his people, her sanctuary. As God's faithfulness flooded into her mind and heart, Mary rejoiced. She was filled with exceeding gladness. And at the center of it all was the reality that God's promise was being fulfilled. The Messiah was about to arrive. And church, how blessed we are to know that Messiah. We, not be, we may not be great at recalling the big story in all of its details. We may not have listened to all the stories that Mary did. But we have seen Jesus. We've learned from him. We've followed his steps. 
We even have his spirit living in us and we're being transformed into his likeness every single day. We know Jesus. Yes, the Jesus that was promised for thousands of years and we can see evidence of God's faithfulness in the person of Jesus Christ. All this makes me want to be so much more familiar with that big story, with God's big story. Soaking all this in over the last week was incredible. I mean, look at all that we can see in this one short statement made by Mary. In her familiarity, both with all that God had done in her personal life and all that God had done in the history of her people, the end result for Mary was exceeding gladness, overflowing in the form of a song that we call the Magnificat. So here's my question for us all this morning. Can we find a reason to rejoice this Christmas season? No matter what, we have limitless reasons to be filled with exceeding gladness. We rejoice because of God's faithfulness to us in our personal lives, and we rejoice because of God's faithfulness to his people. Our snow globe and the sanctuary, there's rejoicing in that. God's faithfulness, God's goodness, God's mercy, God's power, God's compassion, God's provision, God's grace, love, and so much more, all poured into us and into his people throughout history. Yes, church, we have reason to rejoice this Christmas season. So let's do that together throughout the season. This morning we begin the season by sharing a symbol of his faithfulness to us, the sacrament of communion. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's faithfulness to us. We rejoice because of the good that Jesus has done in our own personal lives, and we rejoice because of the goodness that Jesus has done for his people. And I want you to hold on to that thought, that gladness as you come to the table this morning. Uh, let me explain what's going to happen before we wrap up the message this morning. We are going to share communion together in a little bit. What I'm going to have you do is during the first song that the worship team leads us through, during that one song, I'm going to have you come forward and take the elements and return to where you're sitting. Today we're going to take communion all together as God's people. And so just wait until after that first song, then I'm going to come back up here and I will lead us through taking communion together. But it's important, I think, for us to do it together this morning because we are going to celebrate, we are going to rejoice what God has done for his people as well as what God has done in our individual lives. Now, I understand that there's a challenge in grabbing hold of exceeding gladness when we're talking about a horrible death on a cross. But that's part of the story. We are to be glad because of what Jesus has done for us. Are you glad because of what Jesus has done for you? And today we're also going to be glad because of what Jesus has done for his people. We each have our snow globes. We each have unique circumstances within those snow globes. But what's common in each one of those snow globes is the reality of what Jesus did for us on the cross. In that, we can be glad.
And we each have our sanctuary where we represent God's people throughout history, throughout space, God's people. And we can rejoice and be glad in that. And so as you come to the table today, be glad. Because God has done great things for us and holy is his name. What I want to do as we close this in prayer is I've taken Mary's song and just sort of rewritten it as our prayer to close our time today. And so will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now? Take just a minute in the quietness of your heart and express your gladness to God. Tell him that you are glad for what he's done for you. And then do something that maybe you haven't done before or very often. Tell him that you're glad for what he's done for his people. For the holy nation that he has created. Those that he has called into his family. Adopted and redeemed. Remember your snow globe, but remember the sanctuary as well. Father, this is our prayer this morning. Our souls magnify you, Lord. And our spirits rejoice in you, O Savior. For you have looked on the humble estate of your servants. Our generation is blessed. For you have done great things for us and holy is your name. your mercy is for those who fear you from generation to generation. You have shown strength with your arm. You have scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You have brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. You have filled the hungry with good things. rich you have sent away empty. You have helped your servants, your people, in remembrance of your mercy as you spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And today we are filled with exceeding gladness because of your faithfulness, O Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we rejoice and in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.